Welcome back, everybody, to the Ball and Breakfast podcast. I'm Patrick, alongside Wayne, uh, here for a new rendition. Uh, promise I'm not wearing hospital scrubs. This is just a blue athletic shirt. But uh, in any case, uh, you know, glad to have you guys back. Um, thanks for all the support, for following. You know, we appreciate the subscriptions, especially on YouTube. Any new follows on Instagram is always helpful for us. Um, if you'd like to leave any comments or DMs for us, we'll always look at them. You know, try to react to what's important to you guys and, uh, you know, definitely go from there. If you're catching us on audio, uh, we're on uh, Spotify, Apple, Google. Um, you can really catch us anywhere. So, uh, you know, follow along with us and uh, we definitely appreciate your support. Uh, we got a, a laundry list of stuff to cover today. Um, Wayne, I think we'll just kick it off at the first topic. We'll go right into the MLB. Uh, you know, we had a wild uh, wild card weekend, and uh, it's now moving right into the divisional series, uh, Fast and Furious. Um, do you have any initial thoughts or, or takeaways from the series you've seen so far? Yeah, I mean, I just want to say my sympathies to all my uh, Mariners fans out there. Uh, that was such a heartbreaking loss. And at the same time, that is exciting playoff baseball right there with uh, with Alvarez hitting that walk-off homer in the, in the ninth. So, um you know, I know there's a lot of uh, uh, anger and frustration to uh, service playing Robbie Ray in there, uh, who's been struggling a little bit, uh, you know, against a home run hitter like with Alvarez. But you know what? Crazy things happen in October. So uh, who knows what would happen if it, maybe Robbie Ray, maybe he just, you know, pitched a little bit, like, fastball went a little bit faster. Slider was had a little bit more uh, uh, grip to it, a little bit more uh, break to it. So, but. Yeah, that's playoff baseball for you. So sympathies to uh, the Mariners fans uh, who are all watching this. So, I mean, absolutely brutal. Um, you know, I want to, you know, I think the easy thing to do right now is just look at, you know, Robbie Ray and just be like, man, like you're the goat here. You're the scapegoat for all this, you know, all the, all the mess that came uh, during the game. Um, to me, I think that's one of those situations, one of those, kind of hits and, you know, one of those kind of rallies over the last two innings by the Astros where it doesn't even matter who's on the mound. It's almost like that caving nervousness feeling that comes over a team when, you know, they see a bull, you know, charging at them. And it's like, you know, they can do whatever they want to try to, you know, <laughs> dodge the situation. But, you know, no no pun intended with your hat on right now, Wayne. But, yeah, they definitely got the horns. Uh, and, and Alvarez took him deep. And I mean, that's, that was a no doubter. That was like a 400, you know, plus feed blast to, to right center. Uh, he got every single piece of that off a lefty. Um, Sewell put a couple guys on base to kick off the ninth, you know, could have easily closed the door. You know, Jeremy Pena, rookie, could have thrown him some more junk. Instead, he got a, you know, ball over the plate that Pena could put up the middle for a base hit, extend the inning, extend the confidence that was coming out of the Astros dugout. I mean, it's just a, a a recipe for disaster when they've got their best hair coming up in that spot. And, um, you know, it, it, it sucks. It sucks. It would suck to be a Mariners fan for sure, you know, to come this far and to have, you know, just a lead like that seven to three, you know, you got them on the ropes a little bit in game one, you could really start to, you know, impose your will, uh, as the series goes on. But, uh, man, one guy said it, um, on air, I can't remember the analyst, but he's like, yeah. Oh, it was Todd Frazier this morning on get up, but he basically said, and the Astros won the series. And uh, the second he said that, I'm like, I know exactly. I have that exact feeling, you know, and I, and I picked the M's and so did you. And it's like, we see the energy coming out of this team. We see, you know, the, 
you know, the confidence they were playing with in Toronto on the road and, and man, and to start the game, they, they controlled that game and uh, man, what a backbreaker. Yeah. That's, that's just one of those heartbreaking losses really that it's, it's hard to come back from, you know? So like if, if they can this, that, that'll be amazing that they'll, you know, that's a lot of fortitude. I, I think that's a lot of, it'll go to show like their whole mental toughness. I think with, uh, you know, Scott uh, service kind of just being like a, a good manager and just like, Hey, you know, that, Things happen. That was uh, that was a mistake. But at the end of the day, like you know, we're still a team. If you can rally the troops and and you know, move forth on that, that that's great managing. But I think I've seen like that's like all I've been seeing at least on Twitter and everything. All the M's fans just being like, "Yeah, this series is over." I feel like like <laughs> you know, um, and it's like it's interesting because you know with uh, you know they had Verlander. Excuse me, they're a uh, Verlander. Uh, like he was the, they, they got past him and, you know, they were able to actually like uh, uh, put some runs on him there. So, you know, it was just the bullpen just, uh, you know, had coughed it up in, in the end of the day there. So, uh, but, you know, uh, Verlander, if you can get past Verlander and like, you know, uh, if, if the Mariners bullpen can tighten up a little bit there, then, you know, this, this series uh, ought to be a lot more competitive than what, you know, what I think a lot of Mariners fans are feeling right now. So. Yeah, and uh, I just wanted to look it up real quick to see platoon splits for Alvarez. Um, just to think, like, was bringing in the lefty in that situation the right move? It's debatable. I mean, for his career, he's batting 321 against lefties with a 412 OBP, um, 586 slugging. I mean, not to mention against righties, he's batting 299 with a 404 and has more power from the right, you know, versus a right handed pitcher. So it's like, you're damned mm-hmm. if you do, you're damned if you don't. It doesn't really matter who you bring in that situation. It's about, you know, who Scott Service thought would give him the best chance of punching him out or getting him out of that spot. And, uh, yeah, you know, who who better than the AL Cy Young of last year? And, you know, we know we've noted his struggles. You have, Wayne. It's just mm-hmm. like, I really don't think it matters. I mean, you can look at analytics all day in that situation yeah. position, but he he knows his pitchers best. And uh, yeah. it's just too bad. Yeah, no, it's like, uh, I, I think I remember even reading some like blogs, blog posts about it, some uh, some Twitter posts about it too, just of like, oh, it'd be actually nice to have Robbie Ray uh, in the bullpen probably. Like, yeah, having that former Sion, whatever, he just won like last year, right? And he, he, you, can have, you can never like knock on him for lacking stuff, I think is his whole thing. Like, he definitely can strike people out. And usually pitchers like that favor pretty well uh, going to the bullpen. You know, especially for the playoffs, uh, you know, where power rules in a way. So uh, I can't knock Scott Service for doing that. And a lot of people did. But, you know, yeah, it's it, it was just one of those uh, baseball moments that it just it just sucked. I think for Mariners fans. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I guess another one that kind of, uh, you know, sucked for some other fans. I mean, the Atlanta Braves uh, hosting, you know, the Phillies and uh, you know, bringing Max Fried to the mound. It's got to feel like a good, you know, idea, good feeling in game one at home uh, going up against Ranger Suarez, who's probably, you know, Philly's third, uh, maybe fourth best starter. I mean, good, good enough. But, you know, uh, I guess going on the road, uh, the Phillies got off to a pretty hot start, started putting runs up in the first inning with two outs. I uh, got a pair um, and then kind of continued on the early, uh, you know, portions of the game and you know, knocked Max Freed out pretty early, probably after I, I believe it was three or four innings. Um, and I mean, there was one counter punch from Travis Dar- Darnode, uh, early in the game with a home run and just multiple, uh, innings of bases loaded and, you know, just leaving guys on base. And, you know, I, I kind of off the bat was like, 
a little hesitant about you know picking the Phillies. Um, I'm still not there. I still feel pretty good about the Braves, but in the same sense, like a great road win for the Phillies to kick off the series. Yeah, no, it was a great row win. Uh, Bryce Harper is really good at baseball, so I think that's the biggest thing, you know that that I saw here. But um, I, I do think that you know uh, we are shooting on uh, Wednesday, October twelfth, and all, and they are playing right now. So I, I, I do believe that the Braves are are up. So uh, you know they they got to Zach Weir, it looks like so. You know, yeah, the, I think initially the first game, hey, you know, crazy stuff happens. Uh, this is the Phillies' best punch going forth. And, you know, I, I think as a Braves fan, it's like, okay, that, that sucked that we didn't win the first game. But, you know, I think the rest of this series seems pretty good. Um, you know, the, the Braves uh, definitely are not short of pitching. So I think that they can compete with the bats of the Phillies over the course of a longer series here. Um, it just so happened, yeah, it just wasn't uh, Max Fried's uh, best night. I think one telling thing too, um, just kind of moving into this, you know, game two versus game one is how a team finishes the game um, with the Braves hitting a three run homer in the bottom of the ninth. That's one of those things that signals confidence for the next game. You go out with a punch, uh, you know, even if you lost the game, I feel like that's a good way to kind of transition to the next one, get your team, you know, ready to go momentum wise. And, uh, you know, it clearly translated into tonight. You know, if they they don't bring in Ryan Helsley, uh, you know, off waivers from the Cardinals, then, you know, they're probably going to be tied up after, you know, we're done shooting. Yeah, I know for sure. Yeah, I think uh, the Braves, they're just too good of a team just to kind of let this uh, take them away here. Um, and, yeah, they, they did rally in the ninth, which I think is great. Shows great heart for, you know, a, a team that won World Series uh, last year. And, you know, I think they're looking to probably repeat this year. Any other uh, thoughts from the other games? Um, I mean, Yankees are going to Yankee. Uh, I, I know we both picked uh, the the Guardians there, but I mean, obviously, this was a hard. I think this, out of all the games in this series, uh, this is probably going to be the hardest one for the Guardians to win, just because Garrett Cole is is just one of the best pitchers in baseball. And you know, uh, if there's anybody else in the rotation, I mean, they they have solid pitching. I, I think has been the Yankees' whole thing. I think it's just their bullpen. So. You know, if they can get to the starting pitching, if the Guardians can get to the starting pitching of the the Yankees going forth in this series, um, then you know I think that shows just great options going forth. Uh, but that's a big if, uh, you know, with uh, the pitching and how they they've been uh, performing, uh, you know, of late and, and this season. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think much of it just yet. I mean, Bieber going in Game Two versus uh, Nestor Cortez, who had an amazing first half and maybe um, a less great second half. Um, I think this is where the Guardians, uh, you know, even it up tomorrow. Um, I, I feel good about them still. So, uh, just gonna hold my hold my thoughts and hold my breath for for the time being. Um, anything else? Uh, Dodgers, Padres. Any reactions at, at the start? I mean, I, I it's hard for the. You know, for me to be pulling for the Padres, um, you know, it's this Dodger team just had, there's a reason why they like won the most games in baseball, one of the most games, uh, you know, ever. So, uh, and, and yeah, with the Padres, uh, I, I think they might be down or, yeah, I think they're down right now. So um, if, if they can pull off a game or two, uh, I think that'll be great for them. But I, I, I'm just, it's hard for me to be going against the Dodgers, I think, for this series. Yeah, I mean, I 
you know, I'm not going to say a landslide or anything, but, you know, honestly, looking up that stat of, you know, what the season series was, because all I'd hear all year is, oh, you know, the Padres are going to L.A. like they own them. And, uh, you know, to win 14 of 19 against them over the season. And I know those games don't technically count uh, for the real thing, but, you know, they've had a mental advantage on them for a couple of years, including, you know, past playoff series, too. I think during the pandemic, they they lined up in the first round and, and then, you know, Dodgers knocked them out. Um, and again, the Dodgers have a great rotation, too. I mean, I know the Padres bring three uh, to four really good starters, you know, to the mound. Um, but, but so the Dodgers, you know, it's like, they're going to come with Urias, Kershaw, you know, Gonsolin, Tyler Anderson, if they need to, you know, they got other stuff going on in the pen, uh, other starters that probably won't get a chance to start. It's, um, it's going to be a tough one. And they've got, you know, one of the best lineups in baseball too. And, and they've been there and done it. They feel experienced and they're still hungry because they haven't won one in, you know, what has it been a couple seasons now? So, They'll be definitely motivated to uh, to go after the title. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's bottom of the third. I'm looking right now, uh, bottom of the third, tied three three uh, for game two here, Dodgers and, and Padres. So, um, but yeah, it, it it'll be a competitive series, I think. But yeah, I'm still, I think, leading with the Dodgers here. Fair enough. Um, you know, transitioning on, we'll stay in California. We'll move from Los Angeles uh, up to the Bay Area, where there was a huge. Uh, incident that happened on a basketball court at practice uh, between two Warriors. Uh, you guys all know Draymond Green, Jordan Poole. Um, you know, I guess according to the sources that were there, you know, there was a, you know, there's no lie that both these guys are going into free agency, uh, you know, after the 2023 season. Um, basically, there's been kind of reports of, of rumblings in the in the locker room between, you know, both guys and other teammates involved about the contract, you know, situations, who's going to get extended, who's not. Um, I think that kind of animosity is like translated over to the practice court. Apparently when Poole and Green were going at it on scrimmages, there was a lot of uh, foul calls, you know, by Poole onto Draymond Green. Basically, you know, Green was you know, countering that by calling him a, you know, a bitch and um, Jordan Poole didn't like it. Um, I think he was saying some other stuff, but essentially Draymond Green just kind of walked over and, uh, you know, said, no, what's up? What's up? And he said something like, you know what it is. And I guess he was referring to, you know, who's going to get a contract extension. So, you know, Draymond kind of crowded his space. Um, Poole gave him a shove. And then from there, you know, Draymond gave him a pretty, uh, you know, vicious strike. Apparently hit him in the jaw. Um, some people say he knocked him out. I, I don't, I have no idea. But uh, in any case, uh, we've kind of heard all the, you know, the un- unpackaging of this about, you know, the video getting leaked and, you know, Draymond after the facts apologized uh, to Pool, his family, the team, everybody really. Uh, he's walking away from the situation for a while. You know, going to come back uh, on his own terms or when things are you know a little bit uh, cleaner. You know, in the facility, on the team, etc. But uh, Wayne, did you uh, have any initial takes of this? What your kind of gut feeling is about who's right, who's wrong, where do they go from here? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely an interesting thing. I, I I do like Steve Kerr's comments on this. I think he's handled this uh, situation. I mean, I know, I know some people have uh, knocked on him for or, you know for not disappointing Green enough or anything like that, but I I think he's handled it as best as he can. You know, he's he's stated that he's seen uh, fights and he's been part of some well-known fights. You know, with Jordan too, right? <laughs> Getting punched in the face there. So uh, he's. He, out of all the people I think in the NBA today, like he's definitely like one person that you know can have a say in this conversation, uh, and he's the coach. So I, I think uh, you know his perspective I think uh, sheds a lot of volume I think on this situation. So 
You know, he's been uh, he's said yeah, there's been dozens of fights on on this team before. Uh, this one just got leaked. I I, I think he's kind of m- more so angry internally at whoever the videographer was and whoever the team people were for not you know keeping things closer to the family or keeping it in house. So I think he's much more frustrated on that and then how this thing's kind of blown blown up essentially. Because um, yeah, it definitely looks bad. So uh, especially in today's you know uh, social media driven world, uh, people looking for the headlines and people looking for you know people to hate on and things like that. Then this definitely is a situation that you know does not look favorably for Draymond um, going forth. Uh, I do think was it Jordan Bahul called him uh, a triple single or something like that during practice too, which escalated it. <laughs> on top of all the contract talks as well. So I mean, if he really did say that, the good on Jordan Bahul for, <laughs> for that trolling comment in the way. So uh you know and then yeah then jordan Poole had actually had a pretty good preseason game i think scored like 25 and like you know five and five or something like that so um it it does appear though that green is going to be playing against the lakers in the opener which is kind of nuts right like you know with all this drama and everything so it it it, i guess it just goes to show like you know i think uh skip bayless actually brought up a good point is like if they didn't win a championship last year like would this be like something that is it a discussion or would he actually be like suspended, not play the first game? Like, you know, that's, that's, I guess where my thought process is, is like, you know, winning cures all. Right. So that's, that's where I'm like, you know, maybe, maybe there is something towards that of, you know, if they didn't win the championship last year, uh, would he still be on, even on the team? I, I know there's been like, oh, he's just trying to make a thing to like get traded to the Lakers or whatever. But, um, you know, uh, looking at the Golden State Warriors though, I think in the future, it's like, you know, if, if they're going to keep, like, Steph Curry, keep Clay Thompson for, like, you know, the next five years, that's going to be really difficult with all the, you know, young talent that they do have currently with Poole, with Wiseman, with Kaminga, right? You know, that's definitely where it's like, are you going to keep those the, the Splash Brothers or are you going to keep Draymond, who, you know, admittedly, definitely for sure, like, he is an essential part to that team. Uh, he's, like, a heart and soul. And I know, like, uh, when he got suspended for that one game, uh, you know, against the Cavs and, and LeBron, like, you know, that's kind of like when they lost it. Uh, so, you know, he definitely means a lot, I think, towards the Warriors. Um, and yeah, this definitely just is not a good setup, I think, for his future. So, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I think just just by the reaction, uh, you know, what we saw in the footage, um, I mean, I'm kind of surprised they didn't give him a couple games uh, just to set a precedent. I mean, just to set a precedent that, you know, that won't be tolerated, uh, especially when it goes on video like that, it's completely embarrassing for uh, Jordan Poole, number one, uh, but also for the organization um, as a whole, just in terms of, you know, what's going to get out there and how much, uh, you know, media hoopla is going to be around it, which which definitely has been there. And, and now they got to deal with that for a long period of time, probably, you know, throughout the season at certain points unless everything can get squashed and they can, you know, ultimately move on. I think it'd be really hard for me if I was Jordan Poole, uh, you know, if I wasn't really expecting uh, my quote unquote brother to, uh, you know, kind of throw me one like that, even if, uh, you know, there was a push, there was comments made and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, Draymond Green's 32 and Jordan Poole's 23. I mean, that's a pretty wide age gap. And I know like they're adults technically and, you know, things like that. But, you know, Draymond at this point, you're 32 years old. Like you got to like, I don't know, look yourself in the mirror a little bit and do some soul searching. Cause that's just like some really like unacceptable behavior, number one, but it's also just like, 
as a leader of the team, like he says, I mean, it's just, it's pretty ugly. Um, there was a quote that he put out there that I thought was uh, kind of patronizing too. I'm just going to read it. Draymond Green, you know, apologized, apparently like admitted that he apologized to Jordan Poole, his family, um, you know, the Golden State Warriors and everything else. And he goes, you know, about Poole, my love is there. My love ain't going nowhere. I'll continue to support him and lead him. Green said, uh, leading comes with a responsibility that I dropped the ball on. You have to rebuild the trust in that. And I just thought it was kind of weird, like him saying, I lead him. You know, it's kind of like he still kind of sees himself in this like aura of like, you know, I'm Draymond Green. I won, you know, four titles with this team and I'm not going to discredit him based on talent, but it's like if I just got sucker punched in the face and, you know, my my whole image is out there is like, hey, I'm you're the guy who got sucker punched, and now you got to go, you know, back into that situation with with Green, with the other guys. Everybody's got to face everybody else after getting kind of embarrassed like that. I mean, I'd be pretty pissed off. Not not gonna lie. And then have somebody tell me like, oh yeah, and you're and you're still gonna lead me, like my <laughs> my savior. Thank you for thank you for sh- you know shining the light on on where I can walk and where I can go. It's kind of like. I think I'd just be so upset that if uh, a contract extension was in the talks, I probably wouldn't want to. Have, I wouldn't want to have you know Draymond Green on a team I want to play for for the next five years. But uh, I think that writing is on the wall. Um, you know, the Warriors aren't yet talking to Draymond about an extension. And to be honest, like I will not dispute the contributions he's made to that franchise, that dynasty. Um, he's he's obviously been like the core piece, like the Dennis Rodman, but even more so with the facilitation of the offense and things like that. But Again, at 32, um, we kind of saw some traces of him losing a bit of a step in the finals. They still, you know, happened to get over the hump. Um, was that because of Draymond or was it in spite of Draymond? Like, that can be debated. But um, I just feel like I wouldn't be reaching out to do a max contract extension if, like you're saying, you got a, a wave of young talent that is coming and some old guys that are, you know, definitely the reasons why they got all those chips. But in the same sense, it's like a guy like Clay. And he might be the next piece to go. And it's unfortunate, but you got to look at injury history. You got to look at what's projected forward. And it's it's sad, man. The Splash Brothers might come to an end at some point before careers are over, but we'll just have to see. Yeah. And it's and Wiggins, too. Like, I forgot about him. It's like one of these pieces are, are you can't pay everybody. You know, Steph Curry is like one of the highest paid players uh, in the entire NBA. And, you know, obviously the face of the franchise. So he's going to get a bulk of the money. But then, yeah, you know, how's the rest of the. The money going to be distributed there um obviously yeah it's like you have a player like jordan Poole, uh who know you know knows the system uh has succeeded in, in the system and everything uh versus you know trying to bring on you know some other scrubs from other some other team and trying to kind of make do this whole makeshift thing um but yeah you know it's like yeah if, if they can keep the splash brothers see what they can do about uh wiggins uh and then it's like okay how do we pay you know kuminga hopefully he doesn't he hopefully doesn't blow it out of the water complete but is good enough uh and then also like wiseman the same thing it's like again there's so much talent on the scene that they're just gonna have to figure out how you know how does everybody fall into this and it's like does draymond like take like the vet minimum just to stay on the team you know he's stated that he wants to become a billionaire and all that uh you know from his uh ventures and stuff like that it's gonna be hard a little bit to do that on you know the vet, the vet minimum if, if that's kind of what you're aiming after um, I know he has some other ventures, but, you know, obviously uh, gaining that salary from the NBA definitely helps. So, um, yeah, it's just unfortunate. Uh, the, I think the one thing that would cure all, though, is if Jordan Poole goes on uh, Draymond's podcast. I think that would kill it. That would 
quench all of the uh, animosity, I feel like, from the public image standpoint. All will be cured. You know, they donate whatever money, proceeds, charity, uh, things like that. Um, as, I think something like that could be great. But, you know, if that were to happen, I feel like, A, that would be great for Draymond. And then B, uh, I think it, it actually honestly might be good for the Warriors and, you know, how the perception of the world and how they view them right now. Yeah. And um, I guess on the Draymond point about his contract, there are going to be suitors for sure. There's going to be teams that are, you know, loaded at this point, but have the, you know, cap, fle- you know, cap flexibility to bring on a guy like Draymond, maybe not a max extension, but you could put up, you know, double digit millions per year to bring that guy over. And, you know, he's talked about Detroit going home. You know, maybe being a new leader on a new squad. I mean, that's a team that could use some veteran leadership, um, quote unquote leadership. But uh, in the same sense, yeah, like, leadership's a punch <laughs> in the face, apparently. Yeah, yeah Kate Cunningham. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's. Uh, I think the other. I was going to say the other thing I thought was kind of outrageous about all this was like how much uh, they're up in arms about the video being leaked. It's like that has become like the new you know, story to, to shine the spotlight on for the Golden State Warriors, like the the ownership, the coaching, like the players, like, you know, if it wasn't for that video getting leaked, like this wouldn't be a situation. And it's like, no, it's a situation. But, uh, you know, somebody is just smart enough to get, you know, paid under the table to to release that to the to the free world. So um, whoever that person is, like that person's the dark knight, but uh, that person will ultimately be, you know, probably hunted down and fired. So <laughs> we'll find out. But uh how many people have access to like the video room though? I mean, there can't be more than like three or four people. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure like they've already figured it out. I hope. I mean, they're, they're like the most intelligent organization in the entire NBA. Like, I'm pretty sure they can like I don't know. They have some sort of system like people attendance or security cameras, so they probably know. Um, yeah, it's just a matter of time before I guess something just gets their their head chopped up. But you know, if it's true that they got, I mean, there, there's been spe- was it two million? I don't think it was two million or whatever. I think it was just a BS number thrown out there. But I mean, it's like that's like that's like somebody slept with somebody uh, type of money. That's not like, <laughs> oh, Draymond Green punched somebody that money. No, I think it was like maybe like, you know, I think I read the the, the more reasonable I think was like $50,000 or $100,000, something like that. But uh, I think the funny part, the funny quote, though, I think was something like, oh, $2 million. That's great. That, you know, probably affords like a month rent in uh, the Bay Area. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, who knows exactly what or who or what. But, yeah, that's. That ought not to be the focus, I feel like. That's definitely a deflection tactic for sure. So, um, but, you know, I think Steve Curry handled it as best as they can. And, yeah, we'll see how this unfolds, I think. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't look good for Draymond, I think, uh, for this season. Yeah, um, we'll have to see. I think his, his uh, you know, fate will probably be sealed after this season. Hopefully, yeah, I like the Warriors. I like pulling for them. If they can go out with a bang in this last year, that's great. But, uh yeah, I mean, at some point you got to start planning for, you know, the next core, the next dynasty. And uh, I think they're at that point where they have to make some hard decisions. Um, staying on a on the topic of, of violence, uh, you know, not that we love that or anything like that, but uh, it's getting headlines for some reason. And uh, on Monday night, uh, the Raiders dropped a really big one on the road at KC, losing, you know, 30 to 29 to the Chiefs. Devontae Adams was visibly upset after the, you know, the game and um, he was walking off uh, the field going toward, um, you know, the, uh, the exits going toward the, you know, players locker room or whatnot. And they, you could see a photographer kind of, you know, was, was kind of running over to get a new spot and just ran into him at some point. And uh, Devontae, you know, shoved him to the ground from what we saw and uh, just kept walking to the locker room. Um, 
after, you know, he fell to the ground, there was reports, I mean, as recently as today that that photographer has filed a lawsuit, um, misdemeanor assault against Devontae Adams for whiplash, uh, mild concussion symptoms and a headache. Uh, I mean, that's pretty serious stuff. I didn't really see that in the video when I first took a look, but, um, you know, going back, I mean, this is a pretty physical dude, um, you know, probably moving with some sort of force and, uh, you never know what can happen. You don't know what the, you know, what was on the ground, whether that was grass or concrete or something else. But, uh, you know, in any case, uh, an issue, um, that's been raised and, uh, we're kind of waiting to see what the NFL is going to do. And as far as its reaction, but, uh, Wayne, what did you, uh, what'd you make of the situation? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I have some mixed feelings a little bit about this. So, um, you know, Devonte has never been in trouble before, uh, has always you know, been kind of, has like a stoic persona, um, kind of like an Andre Johnson type of, you know, demeanor to himself. So, uh, you know, never been in trouble, best friends with, Derek Carr, who is, you know, him, him and of himself, we can talk about him as a player, but he's kind of like a choir boy to that degree. So, uh, you know, th- that association is like, okay, he, d- he doesn't seem like a terrible human being or su- a super aggressive person. He just obviously plays a very violent sport. Um, but, you know, he definitely like made some plays that kind of led up to the situation <laughs> on the field and it was a frustrating loss and all that. So, I get all that and not to say that that justifies, you know, pushing a photographer. I think he was in the wrong there. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, if the reports are true that, hey, this you know, person got a, con- a concussion, and everything, uh, went to the hospital and, and had, has all of these medical issues now, um, then, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, OK, Devontae is not necessarily a bad guy or anything like that, but he just got caught in a bad situation and made a wrong judgment call in there. So, and that's on him. And then, you know, he's probably gonna have to pay, pay some money out of there, you know, do some sort of settlement, uh, you know, in, in the court of law. So, uh, so, you know, I, I did like all the memes talking about like, Oh yeah. If I got shoved by Devante in that situation, if I'm the photographer, I'm walking out, walking around with the neck brace for the next like, you know, month or something like that. Right. So, but Hey, this is America. That's what it's all about. You know, if you get, shoved or whatever and oh i got a backache here now it's you know it's all about suing and all that and you know getting that cheddar and uh yeah going on a nice vacation afterwards especially with all this inflation talk and all so um hey yeah i, I it's just unfortunate i think all around but you know to say that like Devonte is like you know this terrible human being for doing that like you know that's a hard thing to say at least in my opinion but yeah he definitely did not handle the situation properly yeah, I mean, I guess going back to the end of the game, you could kind of see, you know, his, his call getting reversed. He made a really nice catch where it looked like, you know, very, very close to having two feet in bounds. And that would have been, you know, probably the game clincher at that point. I mean, they all all they really needed was to get into field goal range for Daniel Carlson, who's a pretty good kicker, and, and that had been it. Um, but it's also more than that. You know, he left the Packers, which is like a perennial playoff team, you know, left a great situation as far as being on the field goes. You know, going back with his his you know college uh, teammate David Carr is really good friend, and they're off to a one and four start. And you know, you could just see how pissed he was. He threw his helmet on the sideline after that catch was you know that call was reversed, and they lost the game. So obviously, he wasn't in the right state of mind. Number one, um, you know, I think like you were saying, I don't think the intent was there. He didn't intentionally you know walk in a situation looking for somebody to push onto the ground. It wasn't like that was like calculated by any means. It just kind of was like the spur of the moment thing where, you know, unfortunately it happened. And <clears throat> I think the biggest thing for me is like, 
I guess watching it back through is that Devontae just kind of keeps walking. And it's kind of like that um, carelessness that I think really would make me upset if number one, I was the guy who got pushed to the ground. But I also like watching it as a spectator. I was like, oh man, that's pretty cold. Like I understand if somebody like walks in front of you and like you're pissed off or whatever. Like personally, I wouldn't push anybody out of my way. Like that's just not, <laughs> I don't, I don't see a situation where I'm like, hey, I'm going to push you out of my way. And it kind of felt like an exertion of power in a lot of ways. Like, hey, I'm this big bad receiver and uh you know I make millions of dollars and you're nothing so I'm gonna you know dispose of you as you know as quickly as I can so I can get back to my locker room and stuff. So there is that element to it where I kind of like dissecting the the actual issue. There's things that you know kind of uh you know go through my head when I watch that situation out. But uh mm-hmm. exactly like you're saying, I mean if this guy's not really hurt, um, you know, I would hate to see Devontae get slapped with like a an actual misdemeanor assault. I mean that's 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 pretty that's pretty heavy um you know for what you know maybe this was was all about but i also look at the other side and i say what if you were that guy what if you were the guy who got pushed to the ground on live tv and they're doing nothing but replaying that back thousands and thousands of times it's in articles it's everywhere your friends know about it now your family knows about it all your coworkers know about it i mean that's going to follow that guy for a while you know you're the guy who got pushed by Don- Devontae adams in his own personal life so I'd be pissed mm-hmm. off. I'd want to, you know, seek anything to repair, you know, the damage that it caused and uh, make sure it never happens to anybody else on the sidelines. You know, I think he was just trying to do his job and he was on the wrong, he got, you know, put in the wrong place at the wrong time. So I think Devontae's a good person. I don't think he ever meant to do it. He apologized right afterwards. Uh, it seems like he did it all over the place. I don't know if he ever said anything to the guy himself, but uh, it, it's hard, man. I, yeah. Like you said, I don't, I think, Overall, Dennis Rodman got a couple of games for kicking, you know, a side photographer back in the in the Bulls, uh, you know, second three-peat. I think a game was probably, you know, necessary at this point or, you know, we'll have to see. But, uh, yeah, I, I didn't like the situation. But, uh, yeah, I don't yeah. think he uh, deserves to carry any sort of offenses on a criminal record or anything like that. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I definitely get it's like this whole, um, you know, power dynamics. Like, he is the athlete. uh he you know, he's the one with the money he gets all the attention uh and then you know this photographer just kind of came out of almost out of nowhere he was kind of like running to like you know do something or or, or get something or some you know I, I don't know exactly but yeah definitely walked in front of him and all that but then yeah, like shoving him that's 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 not good man so uh and then it's like yeah yeah i i definitely just de- think that Devante deserves some sort of punishment of some sort uh whether yeah fine or I don't know, suspension or something i guess Sure, I don't know what the you know the going rate is for you know uh, hitting photographers in that sense. Um, uh, I, I I definitely think it's like you know sometimes with athletes like uh, was it the the TV show The Boys right? I don't know if you ever watched that, but there was like that one scene or one part uh, of, of the TV series where it's like the uh, the 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 really fast athlete I forget his name, but. Um, like runs, run, runs over a uh, a spouse of one of the the characters there, and just kills them, like obliterates them into like a bloody pulp, right? And, and then it's like their hands are just showing. It's like hold, she, he's like holding her hands, and then she's like not there anymore. So like kind of like very, very violent and gutsy and all that. Anyway, the, I think the idea was that it was like, oh, he just like walked up to him later. Like I think they offered him like a couple of that, like t- tens of thousands of dollars, and then he just like walked up there and said sorry or something like that. Uh, like afterwards and that was it it's like okay that's great and all but you just ruined this person's life in a way um 
you know, who knows exactly again, not a medical expert, not in that situation, but who knows exactly what happens to this photographer, um, how they landed, did he get a concussion? I don't know, I'm not a doctor, and you know, I'm just reading what I guess we're seeing reported, I guess, in the news there. But you know, it's obviously like there has to be some sort of retribution, I think, that that goes towards uh Devante and then also to the photographer of the situation. So yeah. I mean I'm I'm reading that it could come with a up to six months in jail sentence if he was actually charged with this. I mean, I, I feel like that's a little, you know, stiff, obviously. I mean, I don't think any jail time is warranted in this situation, but in the same sense, it's like, it's how serious this stuff is. I mean, you just can't put hands on people and, you know, I'm not for like, you know, violence. I don't think you should get like a, any, any get off the hook in any sort of way that's, uh, that's beneficial to Devonte. I mean, he should face some sort of consequences actually a little, you know, a bit painful for him. But uh, yeah, in any sense, I hope the, you know, the photographer freelancer got pushed, um, can, can get better through the situation, you know, whether it's physically or, you know, I think more or less it's, uh, it's emotionally, mentally, uh, something like that. But, uh, yeah, yeah we'll have to see, but, uh, in any case, yeah. uh, yeah, just a, a crazy incident at the end of a, a very good game. Yeah. And I, I hope he like sincerely reaches out to him, like, you know, have his people or talk to his people or you know, the photographer, like, you know, if he's a, photographer for the nfl for the chiefs or whoever it's like there's got to be a way for him to get in contact with the photographer directly right and hopefully there is some sort of like amends uh for both their sake i feel like so yeah for sure um before we move on there is one tweet that i wanted to read to you uh that actually came from robert griffin the third about draymond and Devonte. i want to get your reaction here but he goes Devontae Adams pushing someone down and Draymond punching his, his teammate were wrong. Well, let's focus our attention on Brett Favre and the evil of stealing millions from the poorest people in our country in Mississippi. What do you think of that? Yeah, I know there's been this conversation about Brett Favre, too. It's like, how, how come he's getting a pass or it isn't getting as much coverage, I guess, as some of these other people? It's like, well, I don't know. I can think of a couple of reasons why. In a way. It's Brett Favre. Like, even John Manolite loved him and everything, so... Yeah, I, I I think it is crazy that uh, you know, these stuff that it's not as sexy. I think is the key thing. Like it's hard to tangibly think about economics. Like it's one of those classes you take in college or whatever. It's like okay, whatever. That this has no effect in my life, but it actually does in terms of your overall well being, your you know uh, your health too, like your socioeconomical status. All that uh, has an effect on your everyday life and how long you live, how well you live, you know, how, you know, what kind of schools your, your kids go to all that. So um, it's, again, it's, it doesn't get the catchy headlines as, as crazy, even during this whole, you know, economic times where everybody hates rich people, right? Hey, that's, that's fair game sometimes. Um, yeah. It just doesn't get as many headlines. I think in the NFL world uh, just cause yeah, it's, it's not as cool as like a violent punch or, you know, to a photographer and not as memeable, I think is the key thing uh, in that sense. Um, I mean, there's actually some pretty good economic means there, but uh, yeah, I, I, I do agree with uh, Robert Griffin, the third there, um, you know, things like uh, I even saw like some photographers actually almost kind of come to the defense to uh, Devonte Adams in a way, which I'm like, really? Okay. I guess. But you know uh, yeah, things like, economics and him trying to steal from yeah like rich people and or from poor people in mississippi it's like what are you doing like just for like volleyball like is this is it really worth it are you thinking about the big picture um i almost feel like it's the whole uh, was it warrior waffling type of thing right it's just yeah like 
you guys got have anything better to do or how about just give money directly towards you know the families a little bit you know support the community better so yeah yeah i mean this is a clear white versus black um type portrayal in the media i mean not to defend Devonte draymond for their separate incidents but in the same sense it's like yeah brett Favre just gets completely swept under the rug because like you said it's brett Favre, and uh you know stealing money from a welfare fund in mississippi which is already the poorest country sorry the poorest state in this country and uh there's a long litany of you know program funds that were brought down from federal levels to the state that have never been dispersed uh to you know they're overwhelmingly black communities and for this guy to kind of stick his hands in there with others uh to kind of pull from like a food assistance fund and other you know means that you know provide people like the bare minimum in that state uh all for what you're saying like funding a volleyball court um speaking appearances that he never made, you know, the time to go to. Um, and there was, uh, you know, another professional wrestler who was also involved in this as well, getting, you know, paid under the table. I think he got a couple million out of it, but it's just like, yeah, I mean, at some point it's, it's like, I think people get to this level of success and level of uh, fame in their lives. And it just like completely drives them to do whatever they think they they can do. And, and they just know they'll get away with it. And, uh, yeah, it sucks that, you know, ESPN hasn't picked this one up. I don't really know why, you know, it hasn't been, you know, trumpeted on every single week uh, since it came out. And, uh, you know, we'll see where this all goes. And and maybe we do our own separate segment on this. But, you know, same sense, I just wanted to bring that out because of, you know, just yeah. seeing it. And, uh, you know, glad that RG3 actually said something in his own platform. And, uh, yeah, it just sucks, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know what I, I think needs to happen is Brett Favre needs to punch somebody in order for anybody <laughs> to care, apparently. So, I don't know. Something needs something needs to be done about that. But, you know, uh, it, it is nice that it is getting some, but it's like, yeah, compared to this onslaught media coverage of, you know, uh, uh, Draymond and Devante, it's like, come on, man. Like, okay, yeah. You know, we know that these are incidents that happen, you know, they happen pretty frequently. It's an aggressive playing aggressive games and everything um so i get it is it cool is it you know are we justifying it no but should we also at the same time be justifying anything that brett Favre's doing and his what his actions are doing is impacting not just like you know one or two people it's impacting you know potentially hundreds or thousands of people and everything right so it's like there's got to be some sense of impact and how you know the, the actions of an individual uh with a platform and economic means what are they doing with it uh if they're you know spitting on the downtrodden and try to get volleyball courts up for their, you know, their, their offspring. Okay, great. Is that, is that what you're doing with your platform uh, versus, you know, things that Draymond's been doing with his charity work, with his, you know, getting back to the community. Uh, Devonte the same thing too. You know, uh, the, the, it's kind of like how we, a lot of sometimes people treat uh, Marshawn Lynch, right? Uh, you know, Marshawn, you know, sometimes he uh, can be very, uh, you know, not friendly to the media as much, right? Um, sure, he does the cutesy things like with Skittles or whatever. But you know, uh, every Thanksgiving, at least to my knowledge, like he would always go back to his neighborhood and give out turkeys. And I think he even invited like uh, Richard Sherman to do that, and he did. So it's like that's you know, it doesn't get always the limelight because uh, I think you know we're in a very reactionary culture where we just gravitate towards people punching each other and you know locker rooms or in the you know, courts for practice and stuff like that. But we don't care as much about economical means and helping each other want, you know, out. Cause I feel like we're all just trying to get each other in some sort of rat race. Right. So um, that's, I, I think my opinion on that, it's like, 
I think we need to do better, but I feel like it's because we don't think ourselves is better as much. I think we gravitate towards the rat race and that's all. So yeah, uh, it's, it's just one of those unfortunate things, I think. Yeah. I mean, if it's not like fueled by violence, greed, uh, sex in a lot of ways, it just doesn't sell, (laughs) you know, and that's, it sucks, man. Um, but you know, overall just, uh, we'll see where this goes with, uh, with all parties. Um, you know, Favre included, I'd love to see how this turns out. I know he's, you know, been quoted as pointing to this being fake news, uh, which is always a great approach. I mean, it worked for, you know, somebody used to be uh, in, in high, high power in this country. So it's just like, you know, go figure. But uh, I'll leave that one be, um, I guess, sticking on football as a theme, we can now move into our reaction to week five. Um, you know, we had been originally passing and grassing on all games. I think we're going to change up the format just a little bit this week. Uh, Wayne, uh, if you want to kick it off with one of your top five takeaways, we'll each share five things that we saw and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, I think uh, I'll, I'll do one. And I'll pass it off to you. But um, yeah, I think my one of mine is uh, J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Uh, I love the way that they're playing right now. Uh, you know, Zach Wilson, he's kind of playing like, you know, not really making mistakes, not really. He's, he's, he's kind of going that game manager uh, role at the moment. Um, you know, I know he was injured kind of beginning of the season where Joe Flacco was like throwing like 50, 50 attempts uh, in a gate per game and all that. Now they're kind of like, all right, maybe we ought to be running the ball a little bit. So, uh, you know, they're getting the running backs involved with Brees Hall and Michael Carter. Um, defense is stepping up. Sauce Gardner is looking like, you know, a rookie of the year type of candidate, which I think I predicted. So, yay me. <laughs> Uh, I mean, he's got some heavy competition, I think, um, with Woolen playing really um, balling out over in uh, Seattle, um, and then the, and then all the defensive ends, and then we had Devin Lloyd too uh, uh, for, for the Jaguars. Like Jaguars defense is looking really good right now. So, um, but yeah, loving what I'm seeing from the Jets. Uh, kind of looking at their uh, schedule going forth. You know, uh, they have some kind of winnable games. Uh, they're going against the NFC North, uh, you know, where our Chicago Bears are. I know they're playing against the Chicago Bears as well, but, you know, it, it's definitely one of the weaker divisions. So I think in terms of strength of schedule, they have, you know, some pretty winnable games. They are going against the Jaguars, who seem to turn over the ball uh, a ton in any given stance, even though they have a pretty decent, uh, even though they have a pretty decent defense. Uh, but yeah, it seems like they have a bunch of winnable games there. And then, yeah, the Seahawks too. Uh, and then uh, the Dolphins again. I think the Bills is definitely going to be a hard one. Patriots a couple of times as well. But yeah, I think potentially that they could finish second in that division, you know, to uh, to the Bills there. So you know, if that's if that's the way that they go out the season, I think that's a really solid season going forth, given you know the draft capital that they uh, spent on for this uh, for this year. You know, the draft picks with Wilson, uh, yeah, with Devin Lloyd and everything. So. Um, I think it's a great way to set them up for the future. Um, hopefully everything yeah, works out with Zach Wilson for their sake, but you know, he looked pretty good last game, uh, pretty and it looked pretty, you know, decent this game, obviously still kind of has some kinks to work out there, but overall I'm looking what I'm seeing from, from the jets. Yeah. I'm, I'm slightly bullish on the jets. I mean, I say that in terms of like, I don't think they're a playoff team in my estimation, but in the same sense, I think they're making, you know, the positive strides you need to take in this kind of year to bridge yourself to a 500 plus season next year, you know, and they've got a lot of interesting pieces in place like that. That backfield is super exciting. I think Brees Hall was like just South of like 200 yards <laughs> in the game. Um, Zach Wilson's not 
having to do seemingly all that much with, you know, just these weapons kind of stepping out, but he's got Corey Davis, he's got, um, you know, uh, Elijah Moore. Uh, he's also got uh, Wilson. Yeah. Garrett Wilson. Yeah. There you go. Um, it's exciting. I mean, everything there. And then like you were saying on the defensive side too, um, you know, and I think Robert Sala is better than what they showed out last year. I think he, you know, did a great job with the 49ers and not only being like a great tactical guy, but I think he was just a quality leader while he was there. And uh be nice to see him get off to, you know, a decent start here and kind of, you know, keep a job for, for the time being. But I think the Jets, you know, are, are a team to keep an eye on. Yeah, I mean, if they can get some level of continuity with uh, Solly there, it's like, great. You know, so a coach that doesn't get kicked out after like three years minimum, right? So, um, yeah, I think some continuity there. And then, yeah, hopefully, yeah, with uh, Zach Wilson, if he can make some strides there, you know, he's shown some progression. So I'm liking what I'm seeing there. But, yeah, they can take it to the next level. Um, this is definitely going to be an exciting team, I think, to watch, uh, you know, this year and then to next. So, um, but, yeah, we'd love to hear your uh, your first takeaway. Mine was uh, Russ Wilson, the Broncos, Nathaniel Hackett, and just utter confusion, disappointment, uh, just nothingness. You know, it's it's mm. it's really strange. You know, I just kind of seeing Wilson take steps back in this sense. Uh, you know, at this point in his career, he's not over the hill in, in my estimation by any means. I didn't think that coming into the season, but you know, with every game that passes, especially especially under you know Hackett's watch it's starting to get pretty uh, pathetic, you know, and just ha- seeing how that game was going. It was, it was one of the most boring Thursday night games. I think anybody's ever watched uh, slow moving. Neither team could find the end zone. It was, you know, basically trading field goals for the majority of the game, but you, you get down within like three minutes and you, know, you got a bunny of a field goal that you can make just based on how the game was being played out that situation. I mean, for the game to kind of be, you know, knotted up at that point, or I think maybe the Broncos were up by uh, three at the point. Maybe it might've been nine to six at that, at that stage in the game, but to just kind of like, just not take the easy points right there, right then when your team is just obviously struggling for three quarters, it's like, and I just watched another game where I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And like every game, it's like, dude, what are you doing? And uh, it's just my takeaway. It's uh, this, this, I'd be surprised if he lasts in that job for the remainder of this season. I mean, with where things are heading and how embarrassing this must be for new ownership and, you know, just Denver as a fan base. I mean, people are leaving after regulation, not even to stay for the overtime. I mean, like if, if my team just got Russell Wilson after Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke, all these other guys, like the years of Kyle Orton and Tim Tebow and stuff like, man, I, I just don't, you know, it, it's hard to put into words really. I mean, for some reason, like he seems to be married to Cortland Sutton. It seems to be like the only player he trusts on that entire team. And, uh, you know, we saw the the frustration from KJ Hamler at the end for, for kind of being wide open on a slant. And I know that probably wasn't his first read, but it's just another thing. And uh, it's like, I don't want to make a definitive statement right now on Russell Wilson, the rest of his time at the Broncos of the season, but like it is now or never like starting this week. Yeah, no, there, yeah, there's a couple of things there. It's like, yeah, you know, the comparison to with like Gino, what's happening with Geno Smith just balling out in uh, Seattle and everything. And then also, yeah, Richard Sherman, uh, man, looks like, looks like he, 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 he was like reliving some uh, PTSD uh, over there uh, in that broadcast. He was like, oh man, run the ball, run the ball and everything there. And everybody felt it. Everybody knew what he was talking about there. You, you definitely saw that. It's like, 
man, for whatever reason, like Russell Wilson and goal lines, like offense, like does not exist. It's it's pretty bad. So like, you know, yeah, just run the ball. And I think he audibled out of it actually. So it's like, uh, that was his call. And you know, that he just did not make the right read there. Uh, yeah. had Hamler wide open. Uh, I think, I think, I definitely think, yeah, it was towards like sudden, but it was like, wait, yeah, they were kind of like, you know, doing a crossing slant rats right there. And um, yeah, uh, it's like, you're going to go against Gilmore too, right? Like, wasn't he just, he was just killing him. He, that's who he threw the interception to, uh, you know, the, in the preceding drive, I believe too, right? So it's like, why why are you going after their best player? Like, yeah, great. Sudden's like your best player, but, you know, you have, yeah, like other weapons out there, like to your, to your point, um, you know, why are you always forcing the ball towards, uh, you know, maybe where the defense is playing a little bit harder? So, you know, make life a little bit easier, man. Um, yeah, it's just unfortunate, I think, uh, for the Broncos. Because, yeah, that's like a really good defense. That defense is playing playing remarkable. And, yeah, it's unfortunate that they can't just get, like, you know, a touchdown or two here uh, to help supplement that defense. So, yeah, if I am uh, – the Broncos defensive players, like I'm kind of like having that sentiment that Richard Sherman is feeling right now, you know, in the Legion boom, it's like, wait, he's getting all the credit, but we're doing all the work. I don't get it. Right. So, yeah. Gotcha. Um, what's your next one? Yeah, let's see my next one. Uh, I think for me, well, going on, on, on Geno Smith, uh, he's leading the number one offense right now for the Seahawks. So, you know, like you were saying, I was like, wait, didn't they just give like, uh, you know, was it first rounders or something like that for Russell Wilson, some, some players there too. And it's like, for what, you know, it's like, uh, if, if Russell Wilson can't do things like what DK Mack and entire locket, like and taking them to the playoffs and stuff, then they have their own issues. Obviously their defense sucks. It's like one of the worst. And, you know, as, Good of an offense that Geno Smith is leading. Their their defense just isn't up to par at all there. Um, so, you know, some changes, obviously, you know, they lost some talent uh, in the offseason. So uh, they're, they're obviously just going to have to reload. But, you know, I, if I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan, it's like, okay, you know, it's great that we, we got one part of the ball uh, uh, settled. Now let's focus on the defensive end, you know, go heading into next year. Um, I think that's definitely a much more optimistic look than say like, oh, we're, going through Russell Wilson's issues right now here. And, oh, yeah, we, we don't have, you know, and then and they're going to have some of that draft capital too that, you know, they, that the Broncos gave away. So it's like it's if I'm a Seahawks fan long term, I'm like I'm feeling pretty good, you know, or okay right now. Obviously the season isn't going as as maybe the ideal as you'd like to go, you know, with the talent that you do have. You know, they're only getting a little bit older here. Uh, but I, I think overall looking pretty good for the Seahawks in terms of the next couple of years uh, going forth and, you know, if they don't have faith in Geno Smith, maybe he, you know, takes uh, uh, takes a step back in the second half. Uh, a lot of great quarterbacks coming in this draft class too. So um, very optimistic about all that. Yeah, not a bad consolation prize for you know losing your franchise quarterback and everybody thinking it, you know, it's going to be gloom and doom like me. Um, you know, thinking Geno Smith and Drew Locke are going to be your two options, like. We, we had Mayfield talk going on, just trying to get somebody over to Seattle to, you know, fill a job. But, uh, you know, Gino's definitely stepped out. He's played extremely well. Um, I think he's like a top five rated quarterback right now for fantasy purposes. I mean, that's, you know, incredible. Uh, <laughs> still, you know, not really sure where the year will end up. Uh, but that division is completely winnable at this point. I mean, they're only a game behind and, uh, you know, we'll just kind of see where the rest of the season, you know, plays out for Seattle. But you got to give them some respect. I mean, they're they're looking like a team that can compete. Um, seems like Carroll's got them 
you know, rallied around each other to, you know, kind of, kind of keep, you know, going after it. So, you know, defense needs work for sure. But in the same sense, like this, this is a pretty decent start for a team. I think everybody, you know, gave up on it at, at the beginning. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely be watching and, and seeing where they progress there. But um, yeah, what is uh, your next takeaway? Mine's Cowboys up, Rams down. Uh, game 22-10, uh, you know, Cowboys just absolutely put it to them defensively. I mean, Micah Parsons is a man amongst boys. Uh, you know, Trayvon Diggs is kind of, you know, just controlling that entire secondary. I just feel like they are you know, burning and churning uh, out teams left and right on the defensive side of the ball. Um, probably as good, if not better, than Philadelphia's defense, who's been absolutely stifling. Uh, it's really going to make for an interesting Week 6 matchup, you know, in Philly. Uh, you know, my whole thoughts that I had kind of with Seattle, I, I felt like Dallas would be kind of on the downside this year. I just felt like it's another year kind of stringing along Dak Prescott, who's been injury-prone, and, you know, I don't trust in him as a leader. I don't know if Dak Prescott's the guy who can, you know, lead him past, you know, the first round of a playoff. I just don't know because I haven't seen it. So um, I try not to put too much stock into him as a franchise quarterback. But, uh, you know, Cooper Rush has stepped in and has kind of made plays and has kind of kept it easy. And, you know, he's just doing what he can do. And he's not, you know, trying to be uh, anything that he's not. He's not turning the ball over. So, you know, they're winning ball games behind the defense. Uh, you know, they've got a couple running backs who can get the job done. Uh, CD Lamb is there. It's just kind of crazy to sit here and be like, okay, the Cowboys are four and one without Dak Prescott, number one. The other side of the ball, you know, we talked about the Rams. It's just like, this has got to be it. I mean, <laughs> Stafford is looking pretty bad. Um, again, not sure if it's arm trouble, but they just look like a one trick pony. It's Cooper Cup or nothing. And uh, yeah, I just. I think they're done. I mean, I, I, if they have a, you know, 500 record this year, I I'd tip my cap to them. But in the same sense, I'm like, that's, that's probably their upside because they just look uh, kind of lost out there. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I mean, yeah, Rams, like, you know, it's looking pretty good now for them to be getting Odell Beckham Jr., right? I think that's been the one thing now. So, you know, if they can get him on there, uh, you know, maybe I, I kind of feel bad about Allen Robinson, but it's like, you know, I, I don't know if this was like planned from Matthew Stafford. It's like, no, I want but I want Odell. I don't want Allen because you know I've always said like it always seems like Matthew Stafford when he likes a receiver, he loves a receiver. He just like wants to do nothing but at that receiver. So whether it's Cup, whether it's you know Calvin Johnson, hey, great wide receivers in their own right. But it's like you know you you need to be you need a little bit of balance I think to go forth and and you know make some uh, you know especially against good teams because good teams they're gonna figure that out and then they're going to try to, you know, take that away from you essentially. Right. So um, yeah, it just hasn't been good, a good year uh, for Matthew Stafford. And yeah, if they can get Odell Beckham or, you know, if they can show up the run game a little bit more uh, and run the ball a little bit more efficiently. Um, and I, I know they've kind of tried, but they just haven't been able to get uh, a successful game in the run game. But, you know, if one of those running backs back in the backfield can actually get things going you know that definitely puts a lot, lot, pre- lot less pressure, I think, on Stafford uh, going forth. But yeah, Odell Beckham Jr. It sounds like he's going to be joining sometime, uh, which hey, I think makes sense. He was at the at the ring ceremony, so might as well, you know, see if they can help him get another ring. But yeah, right now it's 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 kind of a far fetched thing. Uh, and then, yeah, to your point, I think about the the Cowboys. Uh, that was actually one of my takeaways there. Get the ball to Pollard more. I feel like 
he averages like 5.6 yards per carry compared to you know Ezekiel Elliott's like 3.8 or something. Um, and it's like, yeah, something's up there. And Pollard's a better uh, receiving running back too. So it's like, hey, I really liked Elliott uh, and all that. But then right now it's like Pollard's just, I mean, he had that like 50-plus yard run too uh, to, to get a touchdown. It's like he's just a lot more explosive. Um, you know, it, it's nice to get, yeah, have that balance, but I feel like, you know, if it's going to be like 60, 40, one way, it's got to be, in my opinion, 60 towards Pollard a little bit more and 40 towards Ezekiel Elliott going forth. Uh, but yeah, uh, Zach Prescott, he's, his, his contract isn't looking as good as it was, you know, even maybe before, uh, not that it was looking great before, but, um, yeah, it, it definitely seems like, you know, the, the. Cowboys, it's always been, it always seems like they've always had a great team. And then Prescott's kind of ridden their coattails here and there. But now more than ever, it's kind of prevalent. Like he's losing a lot of that leverage, I think, with the team. Seeing that Cooper Rush, yeah, you can have a formidable quarterback in there and win games. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's looking not as good there. But yeah, uh, that defense, though, is carrying a lot of things. And, you know, Micah Parsons, I think we both picked as Defensive Player of the Year, um, certainly kind of living up to it, I think, this season. Yeah. When I think about Prescott and Elliott versus uh Russian Pollard, it just brings me back to the Gilbert Arenas quote from a few weeks ago. It's just like, you know, here I was balling out at practice, you know, putting away all these, you know, starters and stuff. And I asked, you know, why, why wasn't I playing? And they're like, well, you make hundreds of thousands and these guys make tens of millions. And it's like, I feel like that's ultimately the answer. It's like the only reason why you'd probably go back to both of those players to, you know, carry the load is because they're carrying the bag. And it's like, it's unfortunate, um, but like you're saying, there could be some tensions as the year goes on. If Prescott resumes the job, you know, starts to struggle, especially if he's not fully healthy. Because I don't, I don't know of like, uh, you know, the that injury was supposed to be six to eight weeks, and like they're they're definitely coming up short there to get him back on the field. And uh, I might just let that hand heal for a while, and just like that might keep everybody at ease too, like just just chemistry wise. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they're like, hey, take icy hot or whatever, <laughs> just, like chillax, you know. Go on a nice stroll or whatever, eat some barbecue. You know, Cooper's got it. It's okay. But, um, hey, I think, you know, out of all these things, like, you know, one learning is Kellen Moore's doing an excellent job, I think, just, you know, managing that that offense. Like, you know, kind of like the Andy Reid in a way. It's like anybody can be the quarterback and they can still, you know, put up some points and, and manage the game there. Um, obviously, it definitely helps to have a world-class defense. But, you know, you still got to do things on the offensive side. You know, not turn over the ball over. Uh, make solid play calls, um, you know, to, to you know, t- take advantage of the defense where you can. Uh, certainly see that with uh, Dable and what he's doing in the Giants, like not trying to do too much, I think, with his offense and but at the same time, you know, positioning themselves for success. Uh, and, yeah, that's kind of one of the reasons why, you know, they've succeeded, uh, you know, this season's solid defense and then managing the game on the offensive side, you're just moving the ball, getting first downs and, you know, not turning the ball over. So, yeah, they're doing a pretty good job there. And, yeah, the Cowboys, too. I mean, how about that? Like, the Cowboys and Giants, who who would have thought that, you know, they, they would be, uh, you know, where they are right now. So, yeah. Definitely. You got another one? Um, I will go with uh, – I, I will I'll, – I'll, I'll go back to my Rookie of the Year pick, uh, Chris Olave. Uh you know, I, I think I've seen like he in draft wise, like he was like the best uh, uh, draft uh, drafted player. If you drafted him like, you know, in the later rounds, right, which I think most drafts had him going. 
now he's like i think like top 15 wide receiver essentially and it's like yeah you know i saw it this, this kid is talented uh you know i see i see like the little bit of that justin jefferson type of vibe like yeah, can run all the routes, explosive, all that. Um, and then, yeah, he's even getting Andy Dalton throwing to him, who, yeah, respectable career and everything, but definitely not like the Peyton Manning-esque or whatever to elevate the wide receivers. So you see that he's contributing towards the New Orleans Saints offense, both when, you know, Winston's playing and Dalton's playing. Um, you know, it'll be interesting what happens, you know, when uh, Michael Thompson comes back and how they integrate him. Maybe he actually gets more open since – you know, right now it seems like they're kind of uh, uh, putting coverages a little bit more towards his side of the ball, so or his side uh, uh, of the field. So it's like, hey, you know, maybe that this could potentially help him going forth. Um, but I'm really liking what I'm seeing out of Olave. Uh, I think he'll win Rookie of the Year. Uh, but you know, we'll see. You know, with you know, Brees Hall's you know definitely doing having a respectable year uh, with the Jets going forth. But I'm really loving my pick right now uh, for that. Uh, I did draft him in my, my fantasy draft or one of my other fantasy drafts too. So good i did on that too so yeah <laughs> yeah alave is uh you know definitely you know breaking out here early on and you know making good on the you know the trade that the saints you know made to to acquire him at the draft so you know good on chris alave and good on you for making that pick for offensive uh rookie of the year um you know, or rookie of the year but uh you know Jameis winston uh at, at the helm uh is the thing that scares me um about the saints team and about you know their upside because you know he's 29th in the league in qbr you know, starting off with four touchdowns, five interceptions. It's just like another year of Jameis Winston. And uh, that interception thing has always been, you know, just a Achilles heel of his. And I don't think that'll ever go away at this point. I mean, he's got to be, man, up in his, what, later 20s, early 30s. I mean, 28 years old. Um, you know, I'd like to say there's some hope, but he kind of feels like just a just a backup quarterback, and only like a good one at that. But uh yeah, man. Uh, you know, Taysom Hill looks pretty good at quarterback. I mean, he looks pretty good at tight end. He looks pretty good at running back too. It's just like, you know, I think this like piecemeal kind of, uh, you know, making sure the whole puzzle works offense, the saints have been going on since Breeze got a little bit of, you know, older kind of left, uh, you know, saints behind, uh, in his forties. It's like, they're going to have to turn to the next page. And I think Kenny Pickett was a guy that was on their, you know, draft list. And I think a lot of analysts were, you know, thinking they'd go that route and they didn't, but, you know, I think until they get a new quarterback, uh, we can expect a team that like kind of dances around 500. But I don't know if it's like a team we can get really excited about, despite you know what's been a good defense. Yeah, no, I mean, I I think I I wonder if uh, New Orleans, I, I I wonder if they're like, hey, you know, Michael Thompson, whoever, like take it easy. If you get a little bit of hurt or cough, cough or whatever, you know, take a day off. Uh, let's get some draft capital in there. Let's get some. You know, let's get uh, Chris Olave's uh, little teammate over there in Ohio State, CJ Stroud in here, you know, something like that. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think one thing is that a lot of people were passing on quarterbacks this past draft just because, you know, yeah, there wasn't necessarily like world-changing t- talent. You know, I don't pick it was the number one pick, but he's got small hands. So, you know, uh, but then the, the rest of the quarterbacks, I think, for this coming draft here, um, it's one of the stronger, I think, quarterback drafts in several years, right? Uh, probably going actually back probably more so to uh, – Justin Fields, you know, Trevor Lawrence a few years back, but kind of that similar class, uh, you know, with uh, uh, was it Caleb Williams too and everything. And so it's going to be a strong draft class, I think, uh, for quarterback this year. So, you know, the good teams, the smart teams, I feel like are holding out a little bit on there. And if one of those quarterbacks can go to New Orleans, that is going to be a, a good squad. You know, maybe not the first year, but, you know, year two, year three. Um, 
with other uh, adults in to kind of hold over, do a whole hold over year, or maybe a Winston. I, I feel like that that could be a great uh, uh, a team go- going forth. Uh, you know, with Olave and that defense still, you know, kind of in the prime, but you know, still still somewhat young. So if they can, you know, gut it out for you know a couple of years, that'll be definitely I think a scary team going forth. Definitely. Um, I think I think I'm up next on this uh, on the takeaway segment here. Um, I'm going to go with Matt Rule getting fired um, after starting off one and four. Uh, he's got an 11 and 27 career record uh, in the NFL with the Panthers. Um, you know, came in with a lot of fanfare coming from Baylor, Temple. You know, running offenses. Um, you know, won a Big 12 championship. You know, had been in the you know college game for a long time, even in the NFL game as an assistant, and uh, he completely wet the bed. And I feel like you know he had from the start, the ability to, to kind of design his own team, design his own path. And, you know, I feel like they did go pretty defense heavy in some of the drafts um, where rule started off and he had the ability to acquire two different quarterbacks, one Sam Darnold and the other Baker Mayfield and everything just didn't end up the way that, you know, he ever envisioned. And, you know, CMC did get injured, um, you know, a couple seasons straight there and, you know, definitely is going to hurt a team that, you know, relies so much on, you know, him as a, you know, a backfield rusher, somebody who can be a, a dynamic pass catcher, kind of be the whole offense, honestly. Like, that guy's an incredible talent when healthy. Um, but it's just gotten bad, man. DJ Moore, like, not being targeted. I think a lot of people, if you own him for fantasy, people are dropping him at this point. I mean, DJ Moore, I mean, that's a guy that, like, talent alone, we'd, we'd say top 15, top 10, easy. Um, so to just not get that guy involved, you know, a guy like Robbie Anderson too has some talent. Uh, if he's targeted, it's just, it's just bad. And then, you know, on the other hand, it's like Mayfield is now out for, you know, I think it's like four to six weeks, uh, you know, so he'll be kind of licking his wounds in this whole process. And uh, they're going to go, you know, straight with interim head coach, uh, Steve Wilkes, who got preemptively, I thought, fired from the Cardinals after only one season. Uh, so excited to see what he can do. And then, you know, bringing back PJ Walker's quarterback, like another fun guy who I think we all kind of root for uh, just like a veteran journeyman who's been you know, in multiple leagues and is like keeping his career going with the Panthers. But uh, he did have one quote. He said, uh, you know, just going to look to uh, target some of these weapons, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like, like I think that everything that people were talking about, about Mayfield is just like knocking the ball to his prime guys. He's like, I'll make sure to get him to the weapons and stuff. So it's like, kind of a, you know, fun in, in light of everything else is going on. But uh, what'd you make of this firing and, uh, you know, just the Panthers overall? Yeah, it was kind of inevitable. It's definitely one of those, like, it, it, I don't know if, it, if it's just me, but sometimes I feel like it's like a little bit harder for college coaches to join the NFL and succeed, you know? Um, like, it, 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 it seems like it's far and few in between these days a little bit, you know, that, Urban Meyer, sure, we, we, we could definitely go that route, but, you know, there's, it, it always seems like there's a bunch uh, I know Cliff Kingsbury kind of came from there, but he definitely has, you know, some credibility, I guess, in the in the NFL sense. He kind of has that modern day NFL um, type of uh, uh, schemes there. So, but it's like, yeah, you, you can't just plug in like a, a decently successful, like the Bill O'Briens of the world, in the in a way, and think like, oh, they're just giving the the reins. I think is one thing. Uh, you know, it's like they they gave the reins to to a lot of these uh, coaches and uh, didn't get you know as much feedback from like the GM in that sense. So it's, so it's like, you know, is this kind of the re- owner kind of running things? I feel like, I feel like, you know, if I'm an NFL GM, I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want a college uh, coach anymore. I feel like I'm going to want, 
you know, somebody that knows the systems, knows the differences between the college and the NFL game and, and you know, is less about recruiting and much more about the X's and O's, you know, and, and motivating adults essentially, right? So, um, yeah, just another unsuccessful uh, uh, reign there. And then, you know, Steve Wilkes, yeah, you know, one year, right? Like, it's, it's, it's so ridiculous about, like, you know, why, why is it that black coaches only get one year and then they get fired? You know, it seems like it's happened several times. But then, yeah, you see, like, you know, some of these other coaches that, like, they just smile and I see the camera or whatever, and all of a sudden they're awarded <laughs> Jason Garrett, right? Um, you know, because of the talent around them it makes them look good, right? So I don't know what it is, but it's definitely not fair. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. It is nice that Wilkes gets, you know, a second chance. We'll see what he does there. Maybe they do remove the interim tag if, if he does succeed. So, you know, can only wish, I think, the best for, for them. Uh, but yeah, to your point, I, I know there's a lot of rumors. I think like DJ Moore going to the Bears, maybe like if that happens, you know, I don't know what the, the you know, the cost would be, maybe like a second or third rounder. I don't know. It feels like the, the Bears keep losing draft capital or, you know, getting some here and there. But yeah, it seems like I know uh, Poles wants to build through the draft. Um, so, but yeah, just a lot of things I think that just didn't go the, the Panthers way in here. But yeah, there's still a lot of talent. Uh, and if they can get the quarterback situation uh, solidified a little bit more, I don't know if PJ Walker's the answer, but, you know, th- th- this team, it's, it's it'll be unfortunate if, uh, you know, Christian McCaffrey, you know, doesn't, uh, uh, spend like his good years, right? You know, for a winning team. Yeah, and on CMC, they there was actually some rumors that the Bills are interested, and I think that mm-hmm. there was talk in the off season about acquiring CMC. But like, man, if he goes to the Bills and they're healthy, I mean, game over. <laughs> honestly, man, I I I just couldn't see a scenario where that team wouldn't win at all. I mean, immediately. I mean, that is that'd be so scary because. Uh, they already control the ground game with, uh, you know, Josh Allen for the most part. And if he just has somebody on his side who's that shifty and just that dynamic with all the receiving talent that they have and, you know, defense to boot, that'd be a lot of fun. So hopefully some fun trades are, are ahead for uh, for the teams. But um, one point on Wilkes, I thought, you know, just coming, you know, in light of this investigation with the Dolphins um, is this idea of putting, um, you know, black head coach, in the chair in a year that you're, you know, supposedly tanking and, uh, you know, scapegoating them to move on to the coach that you really want. And, you know, I think it's messed up. I mean, it's something that was in that lawsuit about, you know, this idea of the Rooney rule and bringing in, you know, minorities for interviews and then, you know, potentially hiring them. But if your reason for hiring them is just to, you know, kind of scrap the season and, you know, scapegoat them and, you know, move on to, you know, who you really prefer. I mean, it's just, it's just nasty. So, I really hope he just makes well on this, even if he just, you know, gets the most out of his guys. I mean, I can't imagine the record's going to be amazing, but in the same sense, like if he can just do a job at like inspiring and doing, you know, a great job with the defense, I think, you know, he could find, you know, maybe a head coaching interview somewhere else if it doesn't work out with the Panthers. Yeah, I know for sure. I mean, was it the uh, uh, David Coley, right? Got, got fired too uh, from uh, the Texans. Like, all right, well, We'll put Lovey Smith here, and then we'll see what happens with Lovey Smith. Now I feel like you know what's this gonna look? It's like a Lovey Smith, like a shut up type of. Uh, it's like yeah, you know, we got another black uh, quarter, uh, coach here, so we're not, you know, we're not doing anything crazy. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just like unfortunate, I think. And it's like, do you do you think we're just blind? Like we don't see this shit? Like come on, <laughs> it's uh, it's 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 kind of ridiculous. And then yeah, I know I mentioned Jason Garrett, like you know, it. 
he's he's there's a reason why he's not coaching right at the moment he's just doing like broadcasting i think and he kind of sucks at that too so <laughs> it's like yeah he's he's just not that good of a coach i don't think so i don't think he there's a lot better coaches out there um you know it's it's ridiculous uh you know the eric enemies of the world uh even i know there's been kind of speculation like oh eric enemy it's like he he just uh is kind of writing the coattails of uh andy reed and um but it's like i don't know there, there has to be something that he's doing that he's smart enough to know and see uh, working with you know, Patrick and Mahomes and all that. It's like, okay, maybe he does know something a little bit or, you know, uh, um, Byron left, Byron left, which with like Tom Brady, uh, you know, but then it's like, we see all these chances that we get from some prep kid or some smart looking NBA kid from whatever NFL team. Uh, and then they give him a shot. It's like, how do you compare that with like a Byron left, right? Who, you know, played quarterback in the NFL uh, is working with Bruce Arians, one of the you know better offensive minds in there. So it's not like he's just going to plug in, you know, whatever person in there just to, you know, talk to people, right? Kind of like, you know, similar situation with Andy Reid. It's like, no, they're, they're going to put uh, their, you know, who do they think is the best person in that seat? Because um, that's their job. That's the career, you know? So um, yeah, it's like, why do these people get a shot? But then other people don't get a shot. And how, you know, why is the leash tighter on, yeah, black head coaches? It, it just doesn't make sense to me. So, yeah. Yeah. I think Brian Flores was huge for stepping out and risking his entire career, which, you know, we may never see him head coach in the NFL again. And yeah. uh, I think a lot of franchise, franchise owners are concerned about, you know, him and what he's gone ahead and done. But he's really, uh, carried the flag for other black head coaches or candidates around the league. And uh, you got to give him a lot of respect for that. Yeah. And props to like Mike Tomlin too. Like, you know, he asked like Brian, Brian Flores who who is coaching for the, um, the Steelers right now. Uh, but it's like, yeah, uh, he asked him like, are you getting calls? Like he's trying to help him out with his job search. And it's like, no, he's not getting anything. It's like, all right. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to make a call here. And like, I think he called like the Roonies and it's like, Hey, I just want to hire Byron Flores. And I'm like, all right, sure. Like that's how hiring ought to be. I feel like, you know, <laughs> but it, it just becomes hard. And it's like, yeah, the Steelers are a world-class organization. Um, the Rooney rule, like was literally kind of made because of, you know, their initiatives. And it's like, they are the, you know, they have the most, uh, you know, one of the most successful, I guess, black head coaches out there, but you know, yeah, there's a reason why that they're kind of pushing things forth in that sense. So, um, yeah, props to I think the Steelers for that, and, and Mike Tomlin uh, as well. I think my next one, uh, I guess I have to go with the Bears here with uh, with Justin Fields and kind of like his progression and all. Um, looked, I think people, a lot of people said that he was like the most. This is probably the best he's looked, uh, at least in the pocket. Um, you know, had great pocket presence overall. Uh, you know, made some plays where he kind of just the, it looked like the pocket was collapsing, uh, but then was able to either get rid of the ball, which I liked. <laughs> like oftentimes he pick, you know, just picks up sacks uh, when he kind of doesn't necessarily need to. So I think he, he just he showed a little bit better awareness, especially in the second half. First half was, you know, it was kind of like a, a little bit of the same old, same old. But uh, second half, yeah, either got rid of the ball or made those quick reads, those quick de- decisions, which I think that's great great uh, play calling as well. So it's, you know, that great combination of play calling and then obviously Justin Fields making the proper reads there. Um, uh, downside was, you know, Pettis dropped a bunch of balls, which I think a lot of people were fed up on and then were kind of calling for 
um, you know, Vilas Jones get more involved there. Um, yeah, it was just unfortunate, you know, at the end of the game there with uh, Smith Marset, you know, fumbling the ball. Um, and then also that uh, that touchdown run that was called back uh, from Justin Fields. So overall, yeah, he looked good. I wish he could play more of that second half Justin Fields, obviously, than the first half. Uh, but, you know, if he's able to continue on this uh, from, and build on from this game, you know, the Bears are getting Nikhil Harry, uh, who, you know, didn't do so well in um, with the Patriots. But, you know, hey, if you look at his college tape, which, I mean, if you look at any NFL wide receiver's college tape, it's going to be a, a, you know, a great highlight reel. But, you, did, you know, Nikhil Harry definitely looked good coming out. Uh, and hopefully it was just, uh, you know, just not a good situation for him uh, and with the Patriots. And, you know, maybe ideally he, he, he could be better person or, or better player uh, for the Bears here. Um, I thought they also got Cole Komet involved uh, a little bit later than he ought to have. I think they really need to come out the gate, get Cole Komet involved, get Moody involved, set that tone a little bit more. Because, um, yeah, they definitely struggled at the beginning there. So, um, But, yeah, overall, like what I saw from Justin Fields, a lot of people liked what they saw Justin Fields. I know Trent Dilfer had a lot of praise for him uh, in this game. Uh, yeah, just unfortunate, I guess, you know, with the – uh, the defense couldn't uh, uh, keep uh, your boy Kirk Cousins off the field there in, uh, in the first half. Uh, so, but you know, I think going forth, uh, if he can t- continue the momentum what he uh, established in this game, I think there's a lot to look forward to. Yeah, I mean, all I can say, and I think I've said it before, is you know, with the team that's actually around Justin Fields right now, just on offense, um, you know, I, I like the backfield for the Bears. I think you know the. Montgomery Herbert one two punch is really nice, and then Fields is a good scrambler himself. That'll keep defenses on their toes. But my point, I guess, is like it's really hard for me to sit back and assess Justin Fields when he doesn't have legitimate weapons, you know, on the outside. And you know, I think Mooney's nice. I think Komet has the potential to be like, you know, a, a top ten tight end in the game, but he's not, you know, Kelsey or Andrews second coming. You know, it's kind of like so. Just it just it, you hear all the criticism and like you know maybe flash forwarding, like removing fields and going for somebody else. It's like, what are you actually looking for? Because the guys that people would be tanking for are a lot like Justin Fields. So it's like, I just hope this is like the start of confidence building in him, you know, build this guy up, uh, you know, surround him next year. If that's where you're going with it, if you really, you know, want to be a competitive football team, but got to give the bears a lot of credit so far at the start of this year. I mean, two and three, not great, but in the same sense, I feel like they have competed. I mean, these games have been close and, you know, um, more than what I was expecting, to be honest with you. So, you know, to kind of do that against Minnesota, um, you know, on the road, I mean, that's, that's a lot to, uh, it's a lot to ask for, um, especially in fields, you know, second year here with, with again, what he's surrounded with. So good stuff for the bears. We'll see where this leads for the rest of the year, but, uh, I want more confidence, more positivity, I guess, uh, you know, showered over, over our quarterback. Yeah, no, for sure. So definitely appreciate the the positivity there. And yeah, you know, next year we're going to have like, you know, a hundred million dollars or whatever it is <laughs> in cap plus, you know, a bunch of draft capital. So, you know, next year, uh, you know, maybe we're kind of in a, an Eagles hopefully situation with like kind of like Jalen hurts, right. Year three where he's taking it to the next level, but obviously he just needs more weapons, uh, more, you know, established veterans uh, on the offensive side. So, you know, yeah, if we can, you know, do something, uh, get get a free agent wide receiver. Uh, I don't know what the list is, but, you know, some somebody that uh, can add a little bit more constant, you know, veteran presence towards the locker room and towards Justin Fields. 
uh, you know, add in another wide receiver, uh, one of the young studs uh, coming out of the, you know, in the first rounds that we're seeing on all the mock drafts, uh, you know, maybe show up the offensive line a little bit, then yeah, I think there's a lot of things that can happen on the offensive side. So, but, you know, Justin Fields can take the progressions uh, without that talent. That's even, I think, you know, uh, uh, that just really goes to show, I think his character overall, which I think a lot of Bears fans are very much appreciative of, Justin Fields as a person and how he handles himself and then also what he brings to the table uh, skill set wise. So, yeah. Um, and then with all that, I guess, would love to hear your next takeaway. Yeah. I mean, I guess uh, on, on, you know, the note of uh, bad quarterback play, good quarterback play, whatever it is, um, you know, Carson Wentz getting called out by his coach, Ron Rivera in Washington after a loss uh, to the Tennessee Titans, 21 uh, 17 at home. Um, man. I mean, just kind of like get, you know, dogged by your coach like that on a pointed question about, you know, what's the difference between you guys and, you know, the other teams in the NFC East. Um, man, that was such a backhanded move by Rivera and uh, just completely unnecessary, uh, I think, because I mean, at this point, you know, the other quarterbacks he'd be referring to are, you know, Cooper Rush, Daniel Jones, Jalen Hurts. Um, I don't know. I mean, Carson Wentz to me, uh, if I had to pick between those four to kind of move forward with, I mean, I'd probably take Jalen Hurts first and then probably Carson Wentz. And uh, it's kind of crazy because he had a higher passer rating than Tannehill in this game. He also had 359 yards passing, two touchdowns and an interception. Um, you know, in the year he's got 10 touchdowns and six picks. Um, not a not a dream scenario, obviously, but in the same sense, like to kind of just, uh, you know, overlook what's happened maybe on the defensive side of the ball and just like, you know, what's, what, you know, how many points or yards, you know, the, the defense has given up at this point. It's kind of like, kind of like sheds a lot of the culpability, I think, for Rivera, because that's what his specialty is. And that's what he, you know, probably has the most uh, stake in when it comes to how this team performs. So I um, thought it was a gutless move from a guy, who, you know, I think we all consider as having like a lot of class, a uh, guy who's like known to like be a good leader, um, you know, be a smart football guy. Um, got a lot of respect in Carolina while there, and I think he has um, also so far in Washington. But uh, Revere apologized to Wentz after the fact, um, you know, kind of took uh, accountability again for, you know, what he had said. And, uh, you know, again, I'm not I'm not excusing Wentz uh, in a lot of these situations. I know he's had some really bad games so far, but, like, again, like, at the end of the day, I just kind of look – I keep looking back at stats. I keep looking back at numbers and relative, you know, relatively where is he at in the NFL? And I mean, he's middle of the pack a little bit, maybe South of that too at times, but uh, yeah, I just thought it was kind of a weak move. Yeah, no, it was definitely weak. And it was like, uh, you know, I, I guess it, like, it depends on your outlook on, <laughs> on how you want to go about things. I think it was peanut Tillman. It was like, well, he's telling the truth. <laughs> you know? So if, but yeah, I, I do think that there's a lot bigger issues for the commanders than quarterback play at the moment. Um, so, you know, it's, yeah, it, it, it just does not look good for Ron Rivera in that sense. And I don't know if he was like kind of like uh, desperate for, you know, to kind of figure out a scapegoat in that sense or or what, but that that's just not where you cross the line, I feel like. And I think Alex Smith actually like brought that out is like, it's like, dude, like this is, and he played for Ron Rivera is like, I have, you know, Kind of like had like all the respect for Ron Rivera, but at the same time, it was like, yeah, you 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 just don't cross that line. And I'm glad he at least apologized to him, but at the same time, it's definitely one of those like, you know, he, he thought that through. Like, you usually when, before a press conference, you're you're gonna think about what you want to say and all that. Um, sure, it might be a little bit crazier or whatever, but 
you know, calling out your quarterback, the leader and face, you know, get quote unquote face of the franchise, but quarterback's definitely going to be a leader in the, in the locker room. And you're kind of calling them out. Like you just don't do like that, you know, things like that. And it's not completely hundred percent warranted. Like, yeah, sure. There's better quarterbacks out there, but yeah, compared to, yeah, the Cooper cups of the world um, or Daniel Jones of the world, like you ought to be winning games. So yeah, I, I think it's kind of a deflection tactic and kind of unjustified there. And, yeah, just like the least classiest move I feel like Ron Rivera's had uh, in his coaching career so far. So, uh, but just not a good look. And yeah, I don't know if this continues. Like, I feel like if he loses the locker room out of this, then you know when you lose the locker room, it's going to be hard to continue on as a head coach. I feel like so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe in a way, I don't know if this has come out in any of the reaction to it, but maybe in a way he's trying to, you know, push Carson. Maybe this is a way to like make him mentally stronger because I know that's been part of his you know mo since kind of leaving philadelphia and you know kind of down the stretch with indy just a bad game you know in jacksonville and stuff like that and you know maybe there are things that practice in the locker room that he identifies too uh with carson maybe he's just not you know taking the reins and not being you know kind of a guy who can impose his will on um you know his teammates or you know whatever else but uh yeah again uh what happened happened uh hopefully it's reparable um because if not, I mean, this is going to go, this season's going to go straight south for Washington immediately. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, and especially if the the Giants keep winning games and all that. And uh, yeah, it's, it, and and the Cowboys. Oh yeah, and also with the Eagles, like they're, they're in a really good division. So, you know, part of it is that too, is that, yeah, they're in a really good division. And a lot of teams are, they're, they're just getting great play. And you know, the commanders aren't. And in a way, like, who's who's the reason because of that? I feel like, you know, part of it has to do with Rivera in, in a way. And then, you know, how much is it Wentz? You're ta- saying he's the middle of the pack. Like, I think he's, like, top 10, too, in, like, uh, uh, passing yards, too. So it's like, is it really his fault? Like, you know, get the run game going. Get better pass protection or, you know, get some more turnovers in defense. Like, there's, a di- you know, a number of different variables, I feel like. But, um, yeah, it, for me, it's like, yeah, get the run game more involved in. Let's let's talk about Wentz's play a little bit more. <laughs> For sure. 